0: You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. There's a company in America called the ABC Supply Company. Um, they spent a lot of time working creatively on their name. Um, but they are one of the top s- wholesale supply companies, I know, in the United States, it may be in the world. But The biggest reason why they are on top is they make a delivery promise. Uh, And I have printed it off here. It's threefold. They uh, promise on-time delivery, order shipped complete, and no substitutions. And I'm not gonna read the whole thing to you this morning, but I wanted to read part of it because um, I find this quite captivating. At ABC Supply, We know that on-time delivery is one of the most important things to consider when choosing a supplier. That's why we go the extra mile to meet our delivery time commitments to you. Now, get this part. We recognize the importance of maintaining a schedule. Your order will arrive within 30 minutes of the scheduled delivery time. If your delivery will arrive more than 30 minutes after or before... The committed time. We promise to notify you immediately so you can adjust your schedule as needed. That's pretty crazy. Some plumbers and cable repairmen and guys like that need to get a hold of of the delivery promise. Um, I've never seen anything like that before. How many Amazon Prime members in the room? Amazon Prime? Um, I love Amazon Prime. Um, I, I like... Amazon music and video, the pantry thing is cool too. Um, But I would be lying to you if I said there was any reason more important to me to be an Amazon Prime member than free two-day shipping. That's what I'm talking about. Free two-day shipping. On the one hand, it's like revolutionized my life. But on the other hand, it's kind of messed me up. Because now if I order anything from anybody else, Number one, I have to pay for the delivery, but then number two, it may take five days to get there, five whole days, and you're at home wondering, where is my thing? You know, it's not going to get here. It's kind of messed us up pretty good, and then I don't know if y'all remember this. Uh, I sure do. I don't think they do this anymore, but Domino's used to say, if your pizza didn't get to your house in 30 minutes, it was free. That was honestly the only reason I ever ordered Domino's is the thought that maybe it might be free. Uh, they've done a few things to improve since then, but you know whether you're ABC Supply or your Amazon or your Domino's or whoever you are, it doesn't matter what promise you make. There's always exceptions, always. Last year when the hurricane hit Houston and the city flooded, um, Amazon, they basically like grinded to a halt for three days. What are you going to do? I mean, you're going to yell at the people who are, they're they're floating through their living rooms. Uh, There's nothing that you could do about it. Um, Sometimes the weather says, I don't care what you promised. This is what's going to happen. How about accidents? Uh, I just mentioned King's Table. Last year, Uh, the delivery truck that was supposed to be bringing the food here had a wreck outside of Atlanta. What are you going to do? I mean, yell at the guy who had the wreck. I mean, you can, it's not going to get the food here. And then how about theft? This has gotten way out of control and it's probably a lot to do with Amazon and FedEx and UPS and all these people. Now they don't come to your door, you know, ring the doorbell, sign for your package. They throw that sucker up there and they don't even ring the bell. It's like they run for the hills. I mean, it's almost like they're delivering bombs every time they come. Boom, they're out. You know, and so like this Christmas, all kinds of people in our neighborhood, stuff was getting stolen right off their front porch. Make whatever promise you want. There's always going to be these exceptions. So the Lord... When the Lord promised delivery, when the Lord promised to deliver his people, he didn't say when. He also did not fully explain how. This was on purpose. That, that was actually part of the plan. But here's what's significant about what I just said. It was, it was the Lord's purpose and it was the Lord's plan. God had said, in my timing, in my way, for my glory, I will deliver my people. Well, you get to Exodus 5 and 6, and they're not seeing it happen yet. And so the people, they begin pleading with Pharaoh, wrong person to plead with. They begin blaming Moses, wrong person to blame. These promises of deliverance that God had made... They weren't seeing them fulfilled yet. What will they do? What do we do when those promises that God has made aren't yet fulfilled? Look with me this morning in Exodus chapter 5. We're going to be at the end of Exodus 5. Last week, we saw that Moses and Aaron went in and they confronted Pharaoh. Pharaoh, God has sent us. Um, And he has said, you need to let his people go. We want to go out into the wilderness and worship him. And Pharaoh says, fat chance, it's not happening. And in fact, you're not only not going anywhere, I'm gonna turn up the heat and increase the workload. And that's exactly what he does. After the burden gets really, really heavy, Some of the Hebrew foremen come in to Pharaoh and plead their case Pharaoh, you got to ease up on us. They're beating us. You've put more work on us. There's no way we can do this. Pharaoh says, Tough noogies, you're not going anywhere. Go get back to work. I'm not going to decrease the load one ounce. Get out of my sight. And as these guys are leaving Pharaoh's presence, Moses and Aaron are waiting on them. Let's see how it went. And they come out and they basically tell Moses and Aaron, this is the Brian translation. Because of you guys and your sorry big mouths, now Pharaoh is, he is putting the whooping on us. What they say is you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh. This is all your fault, Moses. All the blame's on you. How's Moses gonna respond to this? Look at Exodus chapter five, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, "O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why are you doing evil to your people, God? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. The first thing that we ought to notice about what Moses says here is not his audacious protest to God. The first thing that you ought to notice that we ought to notice is that Moses turned to the Lord. His first instinct was not to Get on his knees with the Israelites who came out and let him have it. His first instinct was not to go in and plead with the very person who was enslaving them. His first instinct was to turn to the one who had called him and sent him. The Israelites, they're running to Pharaoh. They're pleading with the very guy who is crushing them. And They're expecting him to bring relief. It's not going to happen. But Moses turns to the Lord. Now, that being said, when he comes to God, he comes and he brings these protests. And essentially what Moses says to God is, we we learn that Moses was, number one, expecting God to work faster than he was. Moses had come thinking God's going to work on Moses' timetable, not God's. You ever been there? Possibly? The other thing that Moses is thinking here in his protest is that god he's expecting God to just alleviate all the problems. Well, that obviously is not happening. Not only are they not being alleviated, the problems seem to be increasing moment by moment. Things were not going the way that Moses had dreamed about them as he was coming back to Egypt. But here's the thing. God didn't tell Moses uh, there's not going to be any resistance. He didn't tell Moses, hey, expect all this stuff to just happen immediately. Here's what he did tell Moses. I will deliver my people and Pharaoh will resist. Pharaoh is not going to fold. He's not just going to keel over. Expect this. God had warned him. God very, very purposefully did not tell Moses exactly how or exactly when it would all unfold. He promised deliverance. But see, he had to allow Moses and the Israelites to get to a point where there was absolutely no mistaking that it was God and God alone who delivered them. God knew they had to get to that point. For just a second, pause with me here and turn in the back of the New Testament to James. You have Hebrews and then James. In James chapter one, James is writing to the churches that have been spread out um, all over the region through persecution, okay? So a lot of these people receiving this letter, they, the heat has turned up in their lives, in their churches. Look at James chapter 1, verse 2. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. Consider it an opportunity for joy when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. Let that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. On the one hand, we need to recognize that James is obviously writing on the other side of Jesus's life, death, resurrection, ascension. James is writing with the full knowledge of the good news of the gospel. The people in Exodus obviously did not have that. But here's why I wanted us to read this. James is affirming what we're seeing firsthand here in Exodus. And that is this. God's plan to free his people is always going to involve him refining his people as well. Always. Let's make that personal. God's plan to save us God's plan to deliver us, God's plan to redeem us is always going to involve God refining us, making us more like Christ as well. Think about this for a moment. If Moses had walked back into Egypt, met with the elders, met with the Israelites and said, hey, here's what God's called me to do. Um, He's called to, I'm gonna go to Pharaoh. He's gonna send us out. And everybody says, great plan, Moses. Let's do it, go. Go. And so Moses and Aaron go in to Pharaoh and Moses says, hey, Pharaoh, it's me, I'm back. And here's why I'm back. I was out in the wilderness, God came and spoke to me. He said, Moses, go, go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. We're gonna go out in the wilderness, we're gonna worship God. And Pharaoh said, okay, sounds good. Can I get you anything on your way? If that had happened, don't you think there would have been a temptation for the Israelites to begin to follow and exalt and trust the wrong person? Maybe, maybe, maybe they would have begun exalting, following, trusting Moses rather than God. And think about this. Moses might have begun to think a little bit more of himself than he should as well. Hey, you know, I was out in the wilderness and I told God, who, who am I that you would send me? I, I can't talk. Moses might have started thinking, well, I'm pretty good at this. Bring on somebody else. His head might've got a little bit puffed up. God knows all of this. They're not walking through this accidentally. And so the heat's turning up. Moses goes to the Lord and pleads his case. Well, now God is going to respond. Look at Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand, he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. That strong hand that God is talking about here. That's not Pharaoh's strong hand. That's his strong hand. God is saying, with my strong hand pressed in on him, you watch and see that he won't let my people go. God is saying, now you, Moses, now all of you are going to see what I will do. It's me that's going to accomplish this. Verse 2 God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. What God is saying right there to Moses is, I revealed myself to your fathers. They knew me, but you're going to know me even more intimately than they did. Verse 4, I established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you will know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. You'll notice here this morning that God's doing the same thing that we saw him do in Exodus 5 the first thing he's doing is he's establishing his identity. This is who I am. In the six verses that we just read, God says five times, I am the Lord. Because if we don't recognize God's identity, that he is who he says he is, we will not care about or submit to His authority. God has said, this is who I am and this is what I am going to do. What is God going to do? God says to his people, I will deliver you, I will redeem you and I will adopt you. What does it mean that God has promised these things? Because they're all significant. Well, first God says to them, I am the Lord, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. Right now, there are thousands of Syrians who need deliverance. The the nation of Syria is caught in this dead end civil war between ISIS and groups of terrorists and an evil dictator who's not any better than the terrorist. And in the bombing and in the fighting, all of these thousands of innocent people are being displaced. They're being wounded. They're being killed. Thousands of Syrians are fleeing their country. They desperately need deliverance. They need somewhere to go. But here's the thing. Deliverance without redemption Doesn't really help. God says to his people, I will deliver you out of Egypt. And then he says, you'll notice, and I will redeem you with outstretched arms. The definition of redemption. If you're a follower of Jesus, this definition ought to shout more than the page could ever tell you. Listen to what the definition of redemption is. Gaining possession of something in exchange for payment or the clearing of debt. It's to be saved. But now here's the caveat. It's to save someone at the cost of the Savior. That's redemption. Well, see, many Syrian refugees right now, they're being pulled out of the frying pan, but they're being dumped right back in the fire because they're, yes, being taken out of the place where they're being killed and shot at and wounded and bombed, but they're being taken into a place where they know no one. They don't speak the language. They have no one there with outstretched arms saying, hey, you've been delivered, but now we're gonna redeem you. But see, that's why God doesn't stop there. God says, I will deliver you, I will redeem you, and I will adopt you. I will take you to be my people. Pharaoh thinks you belong to him. He's wrong. Some of you have mistakenly begun to believe that you belong to Pharaoh. You're wrong. You belong to me. I made a covenant with your fathers. And here's the thing. They believed it. But they believed it in faith for the future. They never saw it. You're going to see it right here, right now, fully realized. Moses, go back and tell my people who I am, who they are, and what I'm going to do. I am the Lord your God. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. And I will adopt you. And so Moses, filled with inspiration, filled with power, he goes and he delivers this message. Look, verse 9. So Moses goes in and speaks this to the people of Israel. But they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. These people were so broken and burdened and wounded inside and out that they had just given up hope. They, they just didn't believe anymore. And you see how quickly we move from All of God's faithful I wills, I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will adopt you to Israel sad and broken, but we don't. We just don't believe it anymore. We hear what you're saying, Moses, but we know what we're seeing. We know what we're seeing. They had stopped living by faith and started wallowing by sight. They stopped believing. Like a -a ding-a-ling last week, I had to go and point out that the sun was finally out on Sunday. Here we are again. You guys know I'm real good friends with the sun. I like the sun. We're pals. Uh, I like to see my friend the sun every single day of life, if that was possible. When I don't see him for a few days, things get a little wacky. I even have a lamp in my office now that I turn on. I don't know if the thing does anything. Even if it's placebo effect, it's there. Someone told me I'm supposed to shine it on the back of my legs. I'm trying anything, okay? I just really need to see the sun. I'm one of those people, and some of you, I know you just don't know how I can even do this. I will go to the beach and I will literally lay there for days and do nothing. Nathan says, dad, what are we going to do? I don't know what you're going to do. I'm going to lay here. Just me and my buddy, the son. But see, when you think that way, what begins to happen as a result of this, when we can't see it, it's kind of like you often forget you're still feeling its effects. It's still heating the earth. Uh, It's still creating oxygen through photosynthesis, which I don't really understand, but I'm great with. Um, It is still pushing the water up and then pulling it back off of the land. It's still doing all of those things. And in fact, there's somebody else right this exact moment, somewhere else on the face of this planet who can see it in all of its glory. But in spite of all that, I forget And all I'm really concerned with is that I can't see it. And you know why I'm like this? Here's why. I'm like this because very, very often we allow our hearts and our minds to be most submissive to what we see and feel. That's what we do. That's our M.O., we allow ourselves to be most controlled by and consumed by and submissive to what we can see and what we can feel. You know what the scripture refers to that as? That's what the scriptures call our heart. And, and Solomon says um, that our heart is deceitful above all things. I see people all the time posting things on social media, these chicken soup- for-the-soul kind of things that says, "Just follow your heart." That's the dumbest advice anybody can give you. Your heart's going to lead you to some stupid, bad places. What you need to follow is the word of God and the spirit of God, because it doesn't change. My heart changes just like my mood changes, and that's dictated by whether there's clouds or there's not. You don't want to live that way. But a lot of times, so very often, that's what I yield to. What am I seeing? What am I feeling? The Israelites said, look, we know what you promised our old dead granddaddies, Lord, but we know what we're seeing We know what it is that we see. We know what you've said, God, but we know what we see in front of us. And here's what we see. We see slavery. We see slavery and bondage and chains. I'll tell you what else we see. We see bricks, 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 and more bricks. We've been making bricks until our hands are bleeding and our backs are broken. That's what we see. We see Pharaoh lording over us. We see burden and oppression and slavery. That's what we see, God. We've heard your promises, but we don't see you delivering us. We don't see it happening. I want to ask you this morning to prayerfully consider, what do you see? You and I don't live in Egypt. Egypt. Thankfully, we are not living in slavery. I don't think anybody in this room has a quota of how many bricks you got to make today. But you know what? God has made us promises. Promises. And some of those promises may very well be unrealized. Are you still believing? Do you even know what those promises are? Do you know what they mean? Some of us right now, we feel like we're walking through it. Like, you know, we hear David, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us probably right now feel like, look, man, forget your shadow of death thing. I am... Stuck in the mud, in the middle of the woods, in the middle of the dark, in the valley of the shadow of death. That's where I am, and I need somebody to get me out. I need somebody to pull me out of this. I am ready for deliverance. God, I am ready for you to make good on your promise. Some of us as parents, we're like, hey, God, I read that Proverbs 22, 6 thing, train up your child in the way they should go. And in the end, when when he is old, he will not depart from it. Lord, I am waiting on you to get on it with that. And God, first of all, is saying, well, uh, I want you to go back and read that because I said when he's old, not when you're old. But I also want you to understand, I'm going to do the drawing. I'm going to do the consuming I'm going to do the purifying. I'm going to do the transforming. But you're going to do the training. And it's going to be hard work. And you're most likely going to find yourself on your knees and your face begging me for help. And I will be there. Some of us just give up on that. Some people are waiting on that promise from God for the perfect marriage. When's it going to happen, Lord? And if you go back into his word, you all of a sudden realize, wait a minute, I don't think he promised that. Now, what he did promise is this mind blowing mystery that he will take two people and make them one and that they get the opportunity to wake up every day and be emptied of themselves so that they might put the other person ahead of themselves. And here's another thing I'll do through that. I will allow you to participate in actually being a picture of, it will be an incomplete picture at best, but it will be a picture of my son and his church and the great profound mystery that that is. That's the promise I've made to you. My friend the other day asked the question online, um, what is the most misread, misunderstood, misquoted verse in the scriptures? And I was ready to fire my answer in, and I realized like 10 people had already given my answer. Jeremiah 29, 11. We love it, and we should. Think about what God says. I know the plans that I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That's a promise we ought to be holding on to and declaring. But here's the thing. A lot of us, we begin to wonder, hey, God, I am not seeing you get busy on my plans. And God says, no, 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 no. I know the plans that I have for you. I know the plans you have for you as well, and they stink. That's why I've got great ones. But the other thing is we we love Jeremiah 29, 11 without looking at Jeremiah 29, four through 10, where we see God's people in exile in the middle of the heat being turned up and God's saying, you're gonna stay in the heat and in the middle of it, I want you to be a light in the darkness. You are my sent people. Those are the plans I have for you and I will bring you home. But right now, you're staying. It's like, oh, no, wait a minute. That kind of changes Jeremiah 29, 11 a little. It does. It's still a great promise. Do you know it's there? Are you asking God to fulfill it? What we feel very often says, God, where are you? And God says, I'm with you. What we see very often provokes us to say, God, when are you going to pull me out of this? And God says, I'm not, but I am going to walk you through it. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will walk with you, but we're going to keep walking. Mark Batterson Wrote a book several years ago called In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. The book is about one of David's mighty men named Benaiah. There's like three verses in the whole Bible about Benaiah and Batterson writes a whole book on him. I've been trying to write a book for like 10 years. Thanks, Mark Batterson. But listen to what Mark Batterson says here in In a Pit. He says, Many of our prayers are misguided. We pray for comfort instead of character. We pray for an easy way out instead of the strength to make it through. We pray for no pain when the result of that pain would be gain. We pray that God will keep us out of pits and away from lions. But if God answered our prayer, it would rob us of our greatest opportunities. Many of our prayers would short-circuit God's plans and purposes for our lives if he answered them. Maybe we should stop asking God to get us out of difficult circumstances and start asking him what he wants us to get out of those difficult circumstances. Maybe prayer is less about changing our circumstances than it is about changing our perspective. Tuesday or Wednesday, I decided to open my utmost for his highest for the first time in several weeks, Oswald Chambers. And I want to read you what he said. Huge waves that would frighten an ordinary swimmer produce a tremendous thrill for the surfer who has ridden them. Let's apply that to our circumstances. The things that we try to avoid and fight against, tribulation, suffering, and persecution, are the very things that produce abundant joy in us. Paul says we are more than conquerors through him in all these things, not in spite of them, but in the midst of them. A saint doesn't know the joy of the Lord in spite of tribulation, but because of it. In the midst of the uncertainty, the people of God were fearfully turning to the very one who was oppressing them. But Moses turned to the Lord. Moses looked the right way. And you know, if you go back this afternoon or this week and you read Exodus 6, God doesn't say anything that he hasn't already said. You know what he does? He reminds Moses of his promises. I told your great granddaddy. I told your granddaddy. I told your daddy. I told all of them what I'm going to do. You're going to see it happen. I wanna close this morning reading with you in 2 Corinthians. You know, when you think about the word of God and the scriptures and the gospel, it's all a promise of deliverance. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, the apostle Paul says, all of the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ. All of the promises of God find their yes in him, and that is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. We are the people of God, the children of God. He has delivered us redeemed us, adopted us. He desires to refine us and all of his promises to us find their yes in Christ. I encourage you today, this week, run to those promises and know that God is faithful. Let's pray together. Lord, in this moment, we pray that your spirit would have the freedom to speak to our hearts. Lord, we pray this morning, if right now we, we are in the midst of the valley, if we are in the midst of uncertainty, Lord, if right now we are walking through brokenness, Lord, we pray that you would empty our our lives of fear. Lord, that we would know through the power of your spirit and your word that we don't have to walk in fear. Because of what you have done, Lord Jesus, we do not have to fear death. Lord, because of what you have done, We don't need to fear guilt. We don't need to fear condemnation because you have said, You are my child. You, you look at us in Christ and you call us your own. Lord Jesus, I don't even understand all that it means, but I know that your name is written over my life. Lord, we ask this morning that you would give us faith. Lord, that we would walk by faith, not by sight. Lord, that we would be a people led by you. Surrender to you. just a moment as we respond to God we want to invite you if, you if you need to come and pray if you want to come to the foot of the cross or to the steps and just make that an altar we invite you to come if you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior if you have not surrendered your life to him our pastors, elders, and leaders are going to be in the back. Uh, They would love to share the gospel with you. They would love to pray with you. Our prayer for you is that you would not leave here today without the hope of Jesus Christ. To each of us, Holy Spirit desires to lead us, guide us, convict us, comfort us. May our answer be yes, Lord, whatever you ask. Lord, we pray that you would be exalted and glorified and honored through our worship.